You're listening to Fan Holes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those that? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? Shredder! Shredder! Sake! Uh, what is it, you simpering slug? Can't you see I'm busy planning the demise of those accursed turtles? I can wait, Sake! You have to listen to this Fan Holes podcast. They talk about pop culture, science fiction, and comic books. If only there were something like this in Dimension X. Uh, the Fan Holes, you say? None of us is safe as long as the Fan Holes roam the internet. Come, Bebop Rocksteady. Tonight I dine on Fan Holes. <laughs> It'll be a pleasure, boss. Say your prayers, turtles. That, I mean, fan holes. Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting, stupendous fan holes podcast. Tonight we've got a special show for you. Right about the time you should be listening to this, we should be having an awesome sauce movie fest from Michael Bay from the... Uh, the uh, wonderful explosion creator of The Rock and The Island and the Transformers franchise. There should be uh, a new Turtle franchise on the horizon as you're listening to this. So if you're, if you're out checking that out, uh, we've got something special in store for you tonight, a little alternative. We're going to be talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic book series from IDW. Now, I know we briefly touched on this in the past when we were doing the All Turtles podcast, which you might remember, but I guess at that point, Justin and Brian were probably the only two who had really read the series in detail, and now basically all of us here on the show tonight have now read the series in detail. Uh, to counter that as a, a alternative, then we're also going to be talking about in the second half of the show the uh, Doctor Who, Star Trek, The Next Generation crossover called Assimilation Squared, and that's an eight-issue miniseries. So to start off, I'm Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be your host tonight, and joining me tonight on the Fan Holes podcast, why don't you give a shout-out, guys, and let everybody know who's here. Hey, it's Mike Thunderwing. Justin Grimlock. And Tony Chainclaw. I want to go ahead and do a disclaimer tonight. It's going to be really weird for me and Mike to be talking about IDW comics that don't have transforming robots. It's very true. Very true. <laughs> but there there do seem to be plenty of uh, spotlights, just like the IDW comics. Yeah. That I noticed. So true, true, I don't, true. I don't think you'll feel uh, alone in that. So. 
The first rule of being a ninja is do no harm. Unless you mean to do harm, then do lots of harm. So I guess to start off with, I mean, we're talking about the the IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. Now, this is uh, a new series, but it's kind of a bit of a reimagining, I guess. And I, I think it goes without saying that if you have not read the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles IDW series or even the second half of the Doctor Who series, that, uh, you know, spoilers ahoy. So don't get all grumpy when we tell you that, you know, Slash rode a pink elephant into the Shredder's hideout and, you know, killed, I don't know, somebody or other, because we're, we're going to go there. So, But um, it, it is created, uh, I guess one of the original creators of the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is Kevin Eastman, who apparently is, uh, you know, helping out with the plot. And then he actually did pencil a couple issues, and, and supposedly he's also kind of helping out with the page layouts and stuff. But I, I was talking to Justin about that last night, though. I kind of wonder how much how much a part he actually takes in the creation of it. I mean, seeing that fully penciled issue, I think it was like 21 or whatever, I kind of went, wow, well, maybe he really does. You know, I was kind of, I guess I was kind of being skeptical about it, kind of going, oh, I wonder if they just kind of put his name on there to, like, give it some cred and basically kind of give him that co-creator credit because – you know, he came up with a lot of these ideas first, and they're just kind of putting new spins and tweaks on them. But And yeah. we're joined tonight by Snoopy the dog. I don't know. Can you hear him? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Yeah, so That's I feel bad good. about that, but i got to look out for uh, Snoopy the dog, who, yeah, who obviously, is totally uh, into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, apparently. Oh, yeah. So. And obviously Laird is not credited anywhere on there, so. Right. Yeah, so. But uh, I guess I guess just getting back on topic, um, what, like, what do you guys think about the whole creator thing? Like, do you think uh, Kevin Eastman played a big role in the uh, in in the the ideas and the concept of the new series, or do you think it's like maybe that guy Tom Waltz who basically is is kind of scripting the whole series? Like, do you think he's the one who's who's coming up with all the kind of twists and turns and different takes on the subject matter? You know, whether it be the whole reincarnation aspect or you know, maybe like, you know, a new character like Old Hob that is kind of ingrained into the origin of the Ninja Turtles, whereas he, you know, that character had never been part of the origin before. I, I, I've only got like one thing to say, and I guess it's just because I, I read it this week, but like, I, I would assume, and I could be wrong, I don't know what goes on in the dealings of IDW and their comics, but I, I would guess that like maybe Eastman just has that kind of final stamp, like, you know, if they're like, you know, hey, man, we're going to make, you know, April prostitute. Are you cool with that? No, no, not we're going to, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> you know, like, if they come up with anything too wild, I guess he would maybe have, like, in veto power, but, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he could be very actively involved with that. I, I really don't know. Yeah, I just, you know, me, I'm just kind of speculating because I, I, seeing him pencil the full issue, I kind of thought, oh, well, maybe he's got a bigger hand in this than I, than I previously thought. But, um, you know, maybe maybe he, you know, also has that kind of veto say of, you know, yeah, there's not going to be any uh, Venus de Milo's in this in this miniseries. <laughs> well, Waltz, Waltz kind of strikes me as like sort of like that kind of ascended like fanboy type writer where he was a big fan of the material like previously. So maybe it's something like where, you know, he comes up with, like, the ideas and he passes them on to, you know, Weird and he says, you know, like, good job, kid. Like, I like that. Like, that's, that's you know, that's snazzy. 
Here's like maybe he's like here's the one thing I'd change or something, but yeah, like does this work? And you know he'll be like, yeah, it works. Good, you know, good job, kid. You know that kind of thing. It's like an Arctic fox that turns into an anthropomorphoid that knows kung fu. Greenlight it, Larry. <laughs> I I do like a lot of like the new ideas introduced and all that. Like I like like Tony and me were just talking about like he, Tony was saying he he really likes like old Hob and stuff. Like I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, Tony. Um, I, I, old Hob really kind of hit me out of nowhere because he's he's introduced very abruptly in the first issue, and just kind of like you know splinter. I'll tell you blah blah blah, and he seems kind of one dimensional at that point. But as, as any good comic series will do, they, they, they give you an origin and they give you a, you know, a reason for his uh, hatred of Splinter. He really hates Splinter. Like, he doesn't like the Turtles, but they're more or less like he wants to hurt them because they're with Splinter. They're his, you know, sons, which we'll talk about more, in, in, I'm sure, in a few minutes. But his motivations are made more clear, and he's just kind of this <clears> – he's kind of this scummy guy well, scummy cat, I guess I should say. And and the funny thing is, is, is like, with cat's behavior, how cat's at, he's an alley cat, basically. He he, he really does come off as an alley cat who gained, you know, the, the mind of a human. So, yeah, I, I, if you ever bring in a new character to a series that I've enjoyed or I've seen before, I don't care as long as he's done well. And if, so far, he's had really good, you know, motivation. They've written him really well, so... Yeah, give me new shit as long as it's really good. So I, yeah, I have no problem with like a new character like that. Did the Did you guys read the old Hob, you know, focused issue like the micro series issue? Because that like that went like very in depth into his backstory. So you kind of like feel a little sorry for him. Like, and it it kind of gives like you know the reason why he hates Slinger so much and why he has the eye patch. Well, they did go that in the uh, the the original series too, because like. Uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, like, when they were just a rat and a cat, like, yeah, Splinter pretty much took out his eye, <laughs> like, you know, just, like, ripped it out, and I don't know about the, the micro-series, Justin, I, I didn't get to read that, I, I admit. It, it kind of made it, like, you felt sorry for him, because it's like, it, it gives his backstory, it's like, you know, he was a stray cat, and this kid took pity on him and brought him home, and then, like, you know, something happened with the kid's parents, and he's like, you know, they're like, basically, they had the kid had to get rid of the cat. He didn't want to, but, you know, his parents made him, so he sets Old Hob loose. So, you know, Old Hob has been abandoned, and he's, like, on the street. He's hungry, and he comes across the turtles, and he's like, well, I guess I'm starving, so I'll eat them. And then that's where Splinter comes in and, you know, tears his eye out. So you kind of – you see why he hates Splinter. Like, you, know, he, you know, he was just doing what he had to do to survive, even though he would have ate, you know, the future Ninja Turtles, so – you kind of you kind of feel sorry for him, but that, that that's a good like theme that runs through the whole you know tapestry of this new series. It's like you you can feel sorry for just about any character it seems, whether it's you know Casey Jones's dad. Like I really like some of the things they did with him because at the beginning of the series he's just this drunk alcoholic and he beats on Casey like all the time, and you have no sympathy for him at all. But then like later on towards like some of the more recent issues and his kind of spotlight. Um, there are many series, micro series, whatever. Like you go into his history, where you know it's like his wife got sick, he got he lost his job, he used to be like a gangbanger, and you know, he had a hard gonna time. Say, I I really liked that reveal that yeah he, he's 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 basically Hun, 
like yeah. from the two thousand series, yeah. Yeah, that was that was like I read that and I was like, Whoa, 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 what? Yeah, like, it's, well, like it's, that. it's nice that they have a lot of layers in there that yeah. the characters can be fleshed out. So you know, so suddenly almost. Yeah, like I like when I first saw the scene in the series. I think it's well, as of this recording, one of the most recent issues where he kind of like tears his shirt off and he has the big like purple dragon tattoo. I was like, oh, so he was like part of, and like later, like Casey's like friend Angel kind of says, oh, he was part of the Purple Dragons, and I was like, oh, maybe he was like the leader of the Purple Dragons, and then like I read that like Hun like one shot, and I was like, oh, it's Casey's dad, he's Hun, like I, that's kind of cool, like, yeah. Well, I, I guess like you know, I, I've already noticed that we we've, we've already started going into like stuff that's happened recently because the way they tell the story, it just kind of flows. Very, I hate to say, I hate this work. This is so buzzwordy, but it's very organic. I was going to say, like, does Justin or Derek would they be uh, inclined to give the fan holes listeners like the uh, revised origin of the turtles in Splinter? Well, I guess they they tie it into Baxter Stockman's you know corporate facility. So what do they call it? Like stock something or other. Stock yeah, gen. Stock yeah. Gen, yeah. So, so stock gen, you know, at the outset appears to be the origin of the turtles because, you know, they're, they're experimenting on all these animals. So you think it might be based, you know, strictly in earth based science. But as you continue to uh, watch or read the series and as it unfolds, you know, obviously, so these turtles were experimented on. There was a rat there that it was experimented on. And then there's like all these other animals that are experimented on. And, and you start to, you know, I guess what Tony was talking about with old Hob, like I would wonder, you know, well, who the fuck is this anthropomorphic cat and where did he come from? You know, and then when you start going into the backstory, you're like, oh, April interned at stock gen. So that's how she comes into the story. And you're kind of wondering, is there a cat there that they experimented on? And there isn't, but the foot clan comes in to stock gen to steal, you know, I guess, you know, some form of corporate espionage and kind of steal some of their secrets. And they pack up some of the mutagen and these four turtles into like a little bag and like splinter already is exhibiting above average intelligence and I guess that's a combination of two things. It's a combination of all the injections he's receiving, which, you know, I guess turn all these animals, you know, into, uh, you know, higher developed beings, you know, like human basic, like human being status brains, you know. But also, I guess there, there's the, you know, the whole spoiler alert, which we talked about on the other podcast for a little bit, is that uh, the turtle's origin is strongly tied to Hamato Yoshi's past life. So there's also an aspect of reincarnation to the turtle's origin where Hamato Yoshi faced off against Oroku Saki and they had this kind of big hierarchical fight in the Foot Clan where Oroku Saki's like, yeah, we're just going to go in and wipe out this entire village and consequences be damned and fuck everybody who lives there and Hamato Yoshi's kind of like well wait like you know we we can kill this bad person but we don't have to like kill all the women and children and you know we don't have to be like Anakin Skywalker and be like and and they have this kind of you know face off and fight and whatever and and Hamato Yoshi kind of storms out but the end result of him sort of playing his hand or showing his his true cards is that Oroku Saki basically sends the foot to execute not only him, but his wife and his four sons. So the insinuation is that 
Splinter is reincarnated, you know, or uh, Hamato Yoshi is reincarnated into this lab rat Splinter, and that the four turtles are his reincarnated sons. So that's, I mean, I mean that's the long and short of it. And, and if you're still wondering, well, where the fuck did Hob come from? Well, that's when, right around that period where the Foot Clan, you know, is racing out of the facility, they drop the bag into the sewer, and then that's when, you know, old Hob, when he was just an alley cat, stumbles upon the turtles. And because he's trying to eat, I think, like Michelangelo or somebody, like he's uh, got right. all this, or Raph, he's got all this mutagen in his mouth and all over his body, and that, of course, also triggers his own mutation. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's, it's those daggum layers, because uh, Raph gets separated from the turtles when he's not even fully formed yet because of that incident, and then because of that, he kind of comes into his own by himself, and who does he meet up with but Casey Jones? And there you go again. We've got a really good introduction to another character that everybody knows, but it's just, I mean, it really is well done. I mean, like, when, when a character comes in, it's it's very, it, it's, it's a kind of a new take. I mean, like, Casey Jones is, it's very similar to how he is in the old days. I mean, he's a guy who wears a hockey mask and beats up punks. But again, you know, he has his drunk dad who beats him. He, uh is really a good kid. A lot of times they, they tend to put him as this street tough who's like, you know, like, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. Kind of, kind of a, a jerk, kind of a, you know, kind of a punk. But, but in this iteration, he, he's just a good kid. He's, he's going to college. He's trying to be on the hockey team and stuff. Well, yeah, that that's interesting about both characters. You know, April's an intern, but they're both sort of reimagined as, as college students. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if somebody's, you know, yelling and screaming, you're making all these lead characters too young or whatever, but I mean, it's a convenient and interesting way for April and Casey to be, you know, of the same generation and, and have sort of, uh, you know, that kind of accidental meetup that they do, you know, I guess, you know, and, and the idea that Casey Jones has a dad was just a head trip to me. To begin with, you know, like, I, I guess, you know, I, I never thought of Casey Jones as having any family. I always thought he was just this crazy guy who ran around in a hockey mask, you know. So to, to have him be, you know, sort of de-aged a little bit and also, you know, kind of find the layers to that relationship where you think, oh, he's getting abused by his dad. This is just some, you know, kind of abuse story. But the more you get into it, you know, the more you find out about how his mom passed away and how she made him promise not to make his dad feel weak in any way and that he's just kind of taking one for the team every time his dad beats him. And, and the idea is, well, you know, even Raph says, well, shit, you come out with me every night and we bust heads. Like you can kick your dad's ass anytime you want, but you just are, you know, it's like he's doing it to sort of humor him or, you know, <laughs> sort of not shatter his, 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 you know, ego as, as much as it has been with the death of his wife and, and the fact that he's sort of, dependent on on booze to sort of i don't know just exist yeah they do a lot of callbacks like that like splinter one of the reasons why he kind of blames himself for their current predicament is because when his wife was dying she said don't take any action against you know orokusaki like take this take my take our children and hide and like make sure they're safe and he did the best he could but orokusaki still found him and even though he's keeping that promise to his wife, now he's, you know, like, you know, later issues, they're like, he's like, 
Rokuzaki is just a friggin' bastard. We have to end him. You know, <laughs> it's like. Well, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting too because Splinter definitely is of that philosophy. You know, he, he definitely is is a proponent of the philosophy that killing should be the last resort. You know, and 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 you know that makes sense. I mean, uh, a lot of the things he says, you know, he's supposed to be like a sage, wise old rat, and he still is in this incarnation, you know, like I, I kind of like the scene where, where Raph basically has, you know, Casey's dad, you know, I guess Casey's dad, you know, beat him one too many times and, you know, Raph kind of loses it and is like, Oh, I'm going to go fucking kill this guy. And, uh, and then he won't get punched in the face anymore, you know? And then Splinter kind of has him by the side and is like, all right, well, well, what would you have me do? You want me to slit his throat? And Raph's kind of like, well, no, I guess that wouldn't, fix anything, you know, like, that would just make shit worse, because then we'll be responsible for the death of Casey's father, and Casey Jones, you know, won't have a, a legal guardian, and, you know, wh whatever the ramifications yeah. are, legal or otherwise, you know, and, and of course, Splinter's, I guess, semi-sage solution is, all right, well, get a bag, get some of Casey's shit, and he'll live with us instead, you know, and, you know, I guess it remains to be seen how well that works out, but, I mean, you know, you know, in some instances, like, he's definitely joined the Turtles in their plight, and, you know, for that, you know, he gets uh, his guts ripped out by the Shredder, you know, spoiler, but, you know, like, that that's part of the consequence of that kind of decision, but at the same time, you know, he's not getting smacked around by his dad anymore, you know, so. I do, yeah, like, I, I was going to say, I do really, like, this is the first time I really, like, I don't know, I guess identified with, like, Splinter. Like, for like he's always sort of been a staple of Turtles, but he's never been, like, really, I don't know, to me at least, he's never been really, like, a, like, I don't know, a character you could, like, you know, sort of, like, get behind, really. Like, he's just kind of a, a fixture, like, you know, of the mythology, sort he, of. He was he was more zordon in the original series. You know, yeah. Like, you know, like, oh, Confucius say, you know, man who smoke pot, choke on handle, you know? It's like... <laughs> well, I, I, think, I, I, think... I really, I think the scene I really like the best with Splinter when, uh, when later in the, in the current story arc, when, like, the, they kidnap Leonardo and, like, Splinter and the other three, they go and confront, like, the Shredder and Splinter kind of goes and says, you know, give me my son, like, right now. And, like, Shredder kind of says, oh, your son's already gone. And so Splinter said, well, if you're not going to give me my son, then I'm just going to take your friggin' head off. And I thought that was, that was a really cool scene. The, the, uh, the uh, connection with the Turtles and Splinter is a lot more intense in this series like in the old cartoon and I don't know about the comics and the, and the 2000 show did it a little bit better but it's always been more along the lines of you know you know Master Splinter you know yes sensei we will do as you say you know we're your little strike force and in this one it is more of a fa familial like connection yeah I think if you go back to the whole analogy of the turtles are kind of x-men like you know and Raph is like the wolverine and Leo is like the Cyclops, well, that would kind of make Splinter the Professor X. And depending on, like, what version you read of Professor X, you know, there are certainly, you know, one-offs and one-shots and backstories where you get a lot of insight into his character and can actually identify with him. And then there's also those kind of issues, kind of like what you're describing with Splinter in, in a standard Turtles show where he's just kind of a fixture that, you know, instructs and guides, but it's never anybody you actually... You know, you're like, yeah, I want to be a smelly rat with a stick. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, it's never that kind of thing. But I think, you know, I, I guess with the uh, micro-series or, you know, 
spotlights. I mean, that's pretty much what they are, you know, that, that you kind of have to read. I mean, that, that's the only other thing I, I was going to say about it was as I was going through the series, I was kind of like, oh, this is pretty cool and everything. But like right around when I got to like issue nine and I think issue 12, because a lot of the spotlights take place in between those issues, it was just like every five minutes you'd be like, and like read a panel and it'd be like Raph would be like let's go bust some heads remember when Raph busted some heads in this spotlight and then it'd be like hey Leo did blah 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 and remember when Leo like uh, did this in the Leo micro thing and then it'd be like blah 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 and remember when Michelangelo met that cat lady go see you know and I went alright fuck you fine I'm gonna go read the fucking micro series you know like so I, I ended up reading like quite a few of those but in the splinter issue it actually, you know, speaking of sort of identifying with him or, or giving him more of a backstory, you know, seeing the details of, of Hamato Yoshi and, and how he sort of was brought up and raised and, you know, how he sort of went through the Foot Clan. And basically he, he was kind of almost analogous to a lot of Raphael's plight, which I found kind of interesting. It's like the reason why, you know, it'd be kind of like saying the reason why Professor X could help Wolverine so much is because he went around killing people on black ops missions or something. I'm not saying that's anything that they've ever done, but that that's kind of what it's analogous to to me, where, you know, Hamato Yoshi was a member of the foot and he was always, you know, even though his master was kind of like, you know, hey, you know, fire and anger, it's a tool, you can use them and it's a great tool. But if you if you kind of let it rage out of control, you know, not only will it destroy who you intended to destroy, but it will destroy everything around you. And, you know, and so they go into how. You know, his wife is the one who kind of centers him, you know, and then, you know, of course, it's all sad and tragic because she gets taken away and, you know, the whole the whole nine yards, you know, with the whole reincarnated thing. And I, I was kind of wondering, like, I, I think it might be kind of cool if they actually introduce a character that is the wife reincarnated at some point during this run. Yeah. I don't know if anybody thought of that, but I thought that might be kind of like a big page turner shocker, like, hey, I'm a flamingo, and I'm your wife, or, you know, like, whatever the fuck it turns out to be, but, you know. I was just, I was just gonna say really quick, before you moved off, like, the X-Men metaphor, I kind of like how now it's, like, they started to do, it's like Leo and Donatello at odds, instead of Leo and Raphael, so it's kind of like, like, Cyclops and Beast are at odds, instead yeah, of Cyclops yeah. and Wolverine. Yeah, it's so. science versus mysticism, yeah. Well, I kind of like that scene. Like, I, I, I guess we haven't talked about it too much, but the, the idea that, you know, within stock gen, part of the reason why they have all these tools to create all these experiments with anthropomorphic kind of beings that have, you know, human brains pretty much and intelligence is that General Krang is constantly supplying them this mutagen and, and ooze to make his special soldiers. And, you know, I guess the idea is what they eventually reveal is, you know, General Krang is from Dimension X, kind of like the cartoon. And like the cartoon, there's all these kind of neutrino insurgents that are trying to, like, bomb the shit out of him or whatever and, and do all these, like, sneaky kind of, you know, terrorist attacks on him. And, and, you know, Krang is just basically trying to, like, wipe out all the neutrinos because he thinks he's going to make a new Utrom homeworld or what have you. But um, I, will, I will say one thing, like you know, not to steal a line from Transformers Generation Two, but about all the characters, this is not your father's Krang. He's yeah. really, he's a he's a bastard and he's like competent and he's not just like you know like you know 
Like, when his people tell him, you know, like, General Crane, we failed, he's like, I'm so angry. <laughs> he, he's yeah. very, very evil. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, the, the point I was going to sort of strive to was that uh, when, when they get into the whole Fugitoid was a neutrino who got turned into a robot and everything. And I think maybe Justin and Brian talked about this last time, or at least Brian talked about it without spoiling it. But, um, you know, they, 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 Donatello and, and I guess, you know, Professor Honeycutt, you know, the Fugitoid have this interesting conversation. And, and speaking of the divergence between, you know, Leo and Donatello and the whole idea of, you know, Leo seemed to be very spiritual. Like, as far as the reincarnation angle went, like, he's the one who seemed to embrace that the most. He was like, oh, yes, it is the foot who kidnapped Master Splinter. You know, obviously it is because Master Splinter told us about it. And Donatello's kind of like, well, you know, how like, do you we, believe we, this? we just fought ninjas. How do you know Yeah, yeah, how foot? do you know it's the foot? You don't have any evidence. Like, just because Master Splinter planted this idea in your mind and everything. But I, I really love that scene where... You know, uh, he's talking to Honeycutt, and and they're talking about that angle, that reincarnation, and and you know how can you prove that? You know, like how how can you have empirical evidence and stuff like that? But uh, you know, Honeycutt's kind of response to it is, well, you don't have any evidence that it's not true either. So it'd be, you know, it's like, you know, Donatello's original thought is like, it may be, you know, he's like, eh, well, that's crazy to believe something that you don't have any empirical evidence for. And and Honeycutt's kind of response is, well, it might be crazy to believe something that you don't have any evidence that it can't happen. And that just kind of, you know, he's got this look on his face like his mind is like totally blown. You know, like, I never fucking thought of that before. That's a I did. I idea. did also like, yeah, I did also like that whole, like, like explanation like Honeycutt had with like about the teleporters where yeah. he's like, you know, it makes a copy of our body. And he was like, how do we know? Like, it's, we're the same person. Like, cause it like, is it cause our souls actually like, you know, remain intact during the journey or do we know about this? But you know, yeah. And he makes the same uh, argument for himself. He's like, I transfer my mind into a robot body, but I still feel like me. I'm still Honeycutt. I'm not just, you know, a robot who talks like Honeycutt, you know? Yeah, and so there's a lot of, you know, heavy emphasis on sort of the spiritual angle of things, even inclusive of, you know, scientific empirical evidence or what have you. But I thought that was a, a pretty standout conversation between the two guys. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff like that in the, the series as far as just like... Not not making it uh, not making it so cut and dried, you know. I like I like the fact that the turtles argue, but when they argue, it's not just like you know, I get the last slice of pizza. No, you don't. You know, it's actual. Well, yeah, it does seem to be a lot heavier, and I kind of like how you know. I guess maybe with the cartoons, sometimes the the heavy arguments, like Mike was saying, come between Raphael and Leonardo sometimes, but usually. You know, Donatello's a little non-confrontational in the cartoons, and Mikey's just always like, hey, man, let's have fun. But I kind of like that, like, sometimes Mikey will be like, hey, you two, like, knock this shit the fuck off. Like, this is dumb. Why are you guys fighting when, you know, uh, you know, Leo's out there maybe dying? Like, we got to, you know, stop fucking around and, you know, yeah, get, get the Michael, business. Michelangelo is still kind of goofy, but it's, it's played more that he's an optimist in this instead of just yeah. being stupid, you know. Like instead of just being like you know derp a der, he's more just trying to just trying to be like 
I'm trying to think of the best way. He likes the idea of being a hero. He's kind of like pure-hearted and like naive almost. Yeah. Like like he makes buddies with Slash. Like I really liked that. Yeah, and like you know, and it's really funny because him and Donatello actually have a weird bond that was never really done any before, and it's because Mikey likes science fiction and comic books and stuff, and Donatello likes science. So like with comics and stuff and like technical stuff, like. Donnie is like, ooh, it's a robot. It's really, like, you know, fascinating, these components and everything. And Michelangelo's like, it's a robot. That's really friggin' cool. And they, like, bond over that. <laughs> well, Master Splinter even says, you know, that that issue where they fight Slash and he, and he disappears, you know, it's like Michelangelo takes it pretty hard. And Raph's like, you know, well, Michelangelo's just a big softy. You know, he's not cut for any of this. And Splinter is like, you know, Michelangelo has a huge heart. Like, he's always had this problem through all of his lives. And you know he he takes things like this very hard, and he it's like you know it kind of has that scene where it's like you know they've been having this reoccurring character who kind of leaves them pizza, and Mike's big friends with him, and like that as a result of him having contact with the turtles, like he gets speed up, and he he leaves Mike a note. He's like I I don't think I can you know hang out with you guys because of the things that are after you, but I'll I'll still leave you pizza. And Michelangelo starts crying, and it's you know Splinter says it's like Michelangelo just he loves and he wants people to love him in return. Like that's that's you know his problem, or I guess if if you see it as a problem, like Raft does. Yeah, well, yeah, well, Splinter doesn't even really describe it as a problem. He's almost like, shut up. Like like my wife was like that, and he sort of describes each of the turtles as having some of his wife's best characteristics. You know, the 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 optimism that that. Michelangelo has being one of those characteristics, but, you know, Donatello's inventiveness and curiosity and, you know, uh, you know, Leo's kind of spirituality and leadership and all those kind of things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more, uh, I, I don't know, I guess I've been using the word a lot, but, you know, it, it's a lot more serious. It's a lot more heavy. Um, but, but it, it sort of, the explanations they give seem to, uh, make sense, you know. They it, they seem to be very clear and and you know, I, I'm never scratching my head. You know, it's more like when you finally see the alley cat, you know, with all the four turtles covered in the ooze. It's more like you just kind of have a revelation where you're like, ah, that's where Hob comes from. You know, yeah, maybe when you first see Hob, you're like scratching your head a little, like, hey, now. And maybe when you first see, you know, you first see Hun beating up on Casey, you're kind of like scratching your head a little because you don't know all the details. But as as things slowly get revealed, you know, more than often, you kind of have this kind of, ah, like revelation where you're like light bulb, like this all kind of, you know, makes sense to me. So I like those. I also like those sort of little clever, clever John Byrne references like in the first arc where all the turtles are wearing red headbands and like it's cuz like Splinter is like oh because red is Raphael's like favorite color so we're going to like we will all like honor him until we find him you know yeah and it's like also it's like also like a double homage to like the you know the original comic and stuff right yeah. little in jokes like you know Raphael finding the cowabunga t-shirt man like oh that's just wrong <laughs> There's also stuff that's set up, and, it, and it's it seems like a little like in joke or reference because it's like uh, I think it's in that um, Raphael spotlight where he fights uh, you know the Emperor Emperor uh, the Snow Fox, <laughs> and you see like these uh, gangsters or 
thugs or whatever. Yeah, they're beating up the fox, and two of them, it's the human Bebop, form of Bebop and Rocksteady. And then you see them in another issue, and then like the one of the most recent issues, it ends with them turning into Bebop and Rocksteady. And you're like, oh yeah, uh, you know, like I saw them in that issue like way back at the beginning, and you you just thought it was like maybe a clever, clever reference or in joke, but it's like. Yeah, they use that. I, I like stuff like that. Well, I mean, one, there, one, there one, of the is, one of the best ones is Dr. Honeycat because he's like Chet something something for like issues and issues and issues. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they seem to do a good job of setting up all those little uh, plot threads and having a, you know, a B plot and a C plot and using all those supporting characters. But they the, all those subplots actually eventually merge into the main you know, a plot at some point, you know? And so I, I think in terms of comics, like I guess with everything written for the trade lately, it seems like a lot of those things, it's like they, you know, they have a beginning, middle and an end over six issues, but then nothing that sort of occurs in that little, you know, event or little, you know, arc, it, it doesn't always seem to carry over, but this is kind of cool because, you know, you, you've got these long running threads and, you know, something that happens in, you know, the first couple issues, like with Casey's dad, can have a payoff, you know, in the 24th or 25th issue down the line. And it's not like, you know, it all has to happen in one six-issue trade. You know, it, it can be spread out over, you know, the course of a couple of years. And, and that, that, to me, feels like comics. It feels like sequential storytelling and, and sort of brings into those you know, soap opera-y aspects of it all, you know, whether Master Splinter likes watching it or not, you know, like that kind of, you know, inherent drama or, or what have you. And, and the thing about it is it never gets tiresome because, like, the the first four or five issues, the Turtles aren't even together. Raphael's off doing his own thing with Casey. And no, at no point when I was reading that, I didn't have that feeling of like, oh God, will they just find Casey, uh, find Raphael? This is so stupid. I, I was like totally enjoying that. I like the fact that they weren't just you know like we're all fine crime, we're all buddies, we're all, we do this from the get go. I, I like the fact that they did that and it didn't get tiresome at all. It was like when they found Raph, it was a genuinely good moment, and you're like, they found their brother, you know. The the thing I like best, and this will kind of like tie into something Derek and I were talking about last night. It's like when you have like any kind of property that's like very well like remembered with nostalgia or anything. You have fans who are like, Man, wouldn't it be cool if you took like He Man and you made them all like mature and it's like took him back to his Conan roots and he was a badass. Well, the result of that is you get the kind of terrible He Man comics D C is currently producing. Like those are not Tulsa <laughs> no. Doom Skeletor. <laughs> it's like, well, this is kind of what you want and this is what you got and it's it's not good and it's like you know i'm sure there are turtle fans out there who are like you know the true turtles are like the the original comics turtles they may not care for like the any iterations of the cartoons but like this is a very well-written competent turtles like you know universe like it's great it's it's mature it doesn't talk down to you things make sense you don't have like you know, you don't have like Skeletor doing this. Why is he doing that? Uh, because it's cool, and he did it in the old show. You know, it's like there's rationale and reasoning, and that's what I like about it. It's it's not like those Thundercats comics or like the first Dreamwave Transformers <laughs> yeah. comics, where it's like you know blood and gore. You know, well, it's not that mature in the sense of mature for like a 14 year old teenager, where mature equals 
blood and guts and maybe sex and, and <laughs> you know things like that it, it, it's um to me it seems like it's a mature comic but it, it's well thought out it's it, it, all the plot threads are, are cleverly crafted and you know and and you you are definitely interested in in reading the adventures of these characters that you you know more than likely you've experienced this all before i mean currently you know the current arc is 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 very similar to city at war i mean you've got a you know big gang war on the horizon but the way these things are set up you know there's so many different factions you know maybe the purple dragons will make a comeback you got old hob trying to form his band of mutants you got the turtles on one hand and then you got Orokusaki and the foot clan with karai and then of course you know spoiler of spoilers but it's on justin's uh it's on Justin's avatar, so I, I think we can discuss this. But uh, Leonardo goes all Don Johnson at the end of Miami Vice. He gets brainwashed, and he's basically, uh, you know, Shredder's Chunin, which I guess uh, tantamount to his right hand man. You know, the only reason why I know how to say Chunin is because it's on fucking Naruto, but I don't really know what it means or, or the well, significance of it all, other than you know now he's he's Shredder's number two. But and, even that was like that was started like a couple issues back. That is yeah, yeah. how they do that. You know, they do a really good job with that. It seems like it's a. It's, I, I think it's always like a popular trope to make like the straight laced leader guy go dark at some point or something. Robin you know, like, Titans never. Yeah, Robin Teen Titans, like Prowl recently in Transformers. Um, Cyclops like, or, has never gone bad ever. He never turned into <laughs> Cyclops a is always. He, yeah. he never. He never became leader of the Phoenix Five. He's always yeah. been a, a goody goody cotton candy, straight laced yep. hero. Like Wesley Wyndham Price on Angel. Like it seems like a really like you get these straight laced guys and then they're like they push him too far or or yeah they just get brainwashed into being like dark and stuff but I you know I like the the most recent 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 issues but Justin is Leonardo's uh, headband uh slashes I don't think it's slashes I think it's something maybe Shredder gave him Yeah Shredder Shredder when he's in the process of brainwashing him you know I guess part of the physicality of rejecting splinter is is in these kind of dream sequences of brainwashing he he removes the blue headband and kind of is like, I'm done with you, you know, and, and, and then he, you know, takes on this dark headband, which is provided to him by Shredder. So the idea is that's, that's his master. So he's going to wear his master's <laughs> colors. It's almost like a, a foot headband since all the foot clan are, you know, black, yeah. black covered ninjas or whatever. So he has this black headband as he's now, you know, one of the I've, foot. I wasn't I, sure about that either because, like, you know, that issue where they first fight Slash, like Leo, like thinks, man, yeah. yeah, Leo thinks he's killed him, so he's kind of contemplating the black headband. Oh, okay, I see, uh, I see. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I just wonder. That is a pretty cool picture, though. Like, I, I know you can't see it, listeners, but like, like Leo's all kind of in like red, like shredderish armor and looking kind of all badass. This is something like I was hoping they was gonna do in the first season of the. 2004 series because if you remember back it's like Shredder kind of introduces himself to Leo and he makes Leo think for several episodes that the Foot Clan are good and Leo is kind of like flirting with the idea of maybe helping them or something and I was like I mean, wouldn't it be cool if like they turned Leo evil and he had to fight the other turtles and all this stuff but like they didn't go that direction so I was like a little disappointed but when they did it in this comic and you know they gave him like this 
you know, kind of a badass suit and a black headband and stuff. I was like, man, they finally like used that idea. Like, this is pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it's really funny too because if you know a little bit about like Turtles' history outside of the cartoon, like Karai was always like his his number one. You know, that was his daughter and stuff. And in this series, he's just like, no, you're not ready. <laughs> yeah, I, I always like feel bad for Karai. It seems like whatever incarnation she in, she kind of gets dumped on. It's like I always felt sorry for her in the 2004 series, and I, I feel sorry for her in this because it's like the only thing she really wants to do is like she wants to like lead the Foot Clan and do a good job to please, you know, her father. And then it's like he's you know for whatever reason Shredder's not pleased with her, and he brings in Leonardo, and that. That's going to bring them into conflict, and I I like that. Well, actually, she killed her father. Shredder's her grandfather, right? Yeah. Oh, and yeah, this series, yeah. But like, I I always liked their their conflict in in the uh, 2004 series. Like, I always thought that was very interesting. Like, I wasn't like a cry Leo like fanfic creepy shipper person like some people out there but, fiction ready. Yeah. But I was like, you know, these these two characters have a lot in common. They both have like mentors they look up to and at times feel that they don't live up to them or their ideas. So like they have a lot in common and I I like those two characters together whether they're working together like you know rival fusion or if they're you know fighting each other like I, I always like that. Yeah. I, I well I, I think like you know <clears throat> what basically Derek was saying earlier is is very true and I I guess this kind of it's easier to put in the words because me and Mike have experienced it ourselves in our own favorite IDW comic, which shall go unnamed right now. But it's really amazing what you could do with characters when you take them and they have these great base personalities. Yeah, you have Leo the leader, you have Raphael the maniac, you have Donatello the smart guy, you have Michelangelo the, the happy guy. But then you give them personalities. Having a base like, you know... They're, they're not they're not archetypes they're characters yeah exactly you know when you when you give them motivation you give them reasons for doing what they do or reasons that they could be turned like you know Leonardo you stop caring about them as nostalgic pieces like you know oh Leonardo was cool oh Raphael had a red headband you're like oh shit what is Raphael gonna do oh my god I hope like Leonardo like you know comes out of this and you know like you, you, you read the story and you get more into it you just stop going like you know oh the turtles are cool and wacky you're like the turtles are kind of badass <laughs> yeah I mean even though I enjoy the Nicktoon series like I wish you could take this IDW universe and make that into an animated series like I, that would be really great I think I think, like, even, you know, a series of direct-to-video movies. I mean, I know it's too much to hope for, and, you know, as of this recording, obviously we have not seen the new 2014 Turtles movie, but I, I guess it's too much to hope for that any of these ideas would be carried over into that film franchise. Yeah, if the Turtles... Never mind, I won't even say anything. I'll shut up. I'm not even going to start. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not going to bash on a movie I haven't seen yet, especially when yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. I'm good. No, 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 it's just, it's just sort of like a... Uh, uh, hope because I think I think we've all kind of got. Well, you know what I heard? I I heard all the turtles are going to have flames painted on their shells. <laughs> well, you, you know what? I will say one thing that I am a little bit happy about. I could be wrong. It, it, rumors abound on Michael Bay sets because you never know what's true and what's not. 
But apparently the whole idea of them being aliens was scrapped, which is good. Thankfully, yes. So, uh, you never know. You never know. What? How, how can I relate to a giant talking turtle? <laughs> don't understand. <laughs> they're not aliens. They're from another dimension. Ne- never mind the fact. How are you supposed to relate to a giant robot like Optimus Prime? Like... <laughs> Well, you know, that's that's one of the really great things, though, because, like, April and Casey both have their reveals to these guys, and they're, they're both pretty, you know, again, you know, good character moments because they're sensible, you know? They're, like, <clears throat> April's, like, taken aback, but she knows these turtles. She, like, raised them and stuff, and she's been through some weird shit. She got attacked by ninjas. Let's look at it this way, folks. Big talking turtles are weird, but if you ever went to your job... And for some reason, ninjas attacked your job. Your mind was starting to get a little bit more open pretty damn quick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I really do like April and Casey, like, in this show. Like, they don't seem like, I don't know, like an encumbrance or anything. Like, they actually seem like, you know, you you root for them and you, like, you know, you you think they're, they're part of the family, basically. Yeah, April's not like, she doesn't get in trouble to get in trouble. Like, I, I think one of the, one of the better arcs. It was a small one, but, like, when she was asked to, like, you know, when she wanted to join the family, she didn't ask because she was like, I want to get the best scoop on this news story. She was like, you know, when those ninjas attacked, she almost got killed. And she's like, I don't like feeling helpless anymore. I don't like not being in control. I want to, like, do something. And that would be a logical response from anybody, you know. Nobody likes losing control of their life, you know. I mean, Nobody likes the idea of, like, if they get attacked, they would just be helpless and get their butt kicked. So it's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with this, you know? So as far as I'm concerned, I know Justin may have more to say about it than I do, but I was not expecting a whole lot. I've never been a huge Turtle fan. I like them. I, I like the characters, but I really like this series so far. I'm really, I'm really impressed yeah. with it. Now that I've tracked everything down and gotten caught caught up, like I'm definitely gonna like follow it month to month from now on. Yeah, it's. I, I kind of like made fun of you guys before this. I was like, "Welcome to the party." That me and Brian have, you know, been partying at for a while now. But uh, it's a really great Welcome series. Welcome to the party, losers. <laughs> it, it's like um, you know, there's so many comics that I keep keep up with month to month, and some of them I feel like I read just because. I'm still attached to the character, and I don't really enjoy what's happening to the character. And, but, you know, it's like usually the comics I look forward to are like from IDW and uh, Dynamite. And this, this is definitely one that like whenever an issue comes out, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to find out what's going on with the Turtles. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they did a great job on this, and that's probably where we'll wrap up this talk on – IDW's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic, but yeah, if if you haven't checked it out by now, uh, you know, glowing endorsement from all four of the fan holes on this show, and, and Brian as well, so we'll make it a complete set of five fan holes who all really, really love this uh, series. See, um, we don't hate everything. <laughs> yeah, 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 this, this was great. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, We'll move on now to the second half of the show, which we promised we were going to discuss some Doctor Who and uh, Doctor Who and Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, The series is called Assimilation Squared. So I guess if you've been jonesing for us to talk some more Star Trek or some more Doctor Who, 
then uh, this half of the show is definitely for you. Annihilate, no, no violence. Do you understand me? Not while I'm around, not today, not ever. I'm the doctor of the oncoming storm. Assimilate this. This is a miniseries written by Scott and David Tipton. And then uh, there's art from J.K. Woodward and the Sharp Brothers. I don't. I was trying to look up who the Sharp Brothers actually were, but that's that's what it says in the comic. So I assume they're just the Sharp Brothers. I don't know if there's anything more to it than that. Um, the art has a really painted vibe to it. it I, the, the thing that I liked about it was it's nice that somebody besides Alex Ross can you know do some painted art. You know you know whether somebody like Isad Ribic who did all the Thor stuff or or you know J.K. Woodward in this. You know it's kind of nice that you know. Alex Ross doesn't have the market cornered on, you know, ooh, he paints, so he's he's knees or whatever. It's nice that somebody else can do art like this and and still, you know, do a good job and do a monthly comic and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I guess, you know, the basic tenant or, or uh, you know, mission statement of this miniseries is just to have uh, – the uh, Matt Smith Doctor, I guess that's the 11th Doctor. I don't know anymore because I'm so confused, Justin. <laughs> but I, 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 I would imagine it's the 11th Doctor, and the 11th Doctor is meeting the cast of The Next Generation kind of circa, I don't know, like season four, season three. Yeah, something it, like it that. seems to be yeah. relatively soon after the Battle of Wolf one night. Yeah, so. yeah so, so somewhere around there. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's a competent crossover. Like I, I think a lot of the beats happen and occur, you know, the way you might think they would occur. Uh, I think, uh, just reviewing this a second time, I had not watched much of the Matt Smith Doctor Who series when I originally read this, maybe, uh, you know, way back on the previous Doctor Who podcast, and I mentioned it was one of the earliest Doctor Who comics I even looked at. So this time around, I, I did notice some more nuances, like with the character of Rory. Like, I didn't really understand that Rory had been like a Roman soldier for thousands and thousands of years. So when there's that scene where he is basically talking to, you know, Roman soldiers and riding a chariot and everything at the beginning. I think when I initially looked at that, I was just kind of like, what the fuck is, whatever, he's riding a chariot, okay, yeah, sure. But this time around, it kind of made a little more sense to me because I sort of had that that basis or that backstory. I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, he, he, he should know how to ride a chariot, I suppose, and he should know how to finagle other Roman soldiers because he was one for so long. So, like, there was some more layered nuance to the Doctor Who half of it for me when I was kind of just reviewing it a second time for this show. Um, but, I mean, what did everybody else think about it? I know I know, Tony has seen some Doctor Who, but he hasn't watched that much of the Matt Smith series. And I know Mike has probably never seen any Doctor Who, but I know he's a fan of the next generation. So I'm just kind of curious what, what your guys' take on the whole thing. Well, I went first last time, so I'll let either Mike or Justin go first this time. Well, I'll just say that, like, I've only seen, yeah, like, a handful of Doctor Who episodes, like, but I, I, I'm pretty, like, like, 
they did a good job of like sort of initiating like any like noobs into like the whole concept and everything. Like, I mean, I I understood. Like, I'm not exactly a noob. Like, I understand like Doctor Who's whole thing and like like I knew exa- like from talking with you guys, I knew what like the Cybermen were and all that. So, and I, I was kind of like, oh yeah, they kind of like you know, no, it, it makes it only makes sense that they fight the Borg or you know they team up with the Borg initially. And stuff. So, like, I think they did a good job of easing you into that. And like, I, I basically thought, like, like you said, Derek, it was like competent. Like, I, I don't think it was like anything like super special or anything. But you know, I, I, I liked everyone in it, and I didn't like, I didn't have any major problems or anything. Um, I, I well, the actually the only problem I'd have is like, I, I don't know if I liked the art, like. I don't. Me and Tony were talking like earlier before the show, where we were like, "Man, it seemed like like every picture of all the next generation people were like was like swiped from like production stills or something, or like you know just traced off like screenshots from a t- the TV show or something." So, but, so are you saying this guy's like the Greg Land of like painted comics? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It just seemed that way, and then every so often, like when you'd have to have an expression that, like, there probably wasn't any reference for, like, especially with Matt Hill's, like, Doctor Who, it seemed like his expressions were, like, super cartoony in comparison to, like, you know, like, more realistic, like, looking, like, portrayals of, like, real actors and stuff, so... Yeah, yeah, I uh, can see what you're saying. Like, it seemed kind of jarring sometimes. Yeah, because you had, like, seven seasons of TNG and, like, two or three of Doctor Who, so... <laughs> with Matt Smith, anyway. But I did I did like that the one issue where they went back to the original series too. Yeah, that that was probably like the highlight for me, and especially because by that point I think even I I talked about this on on the Doctor Who podcast that me and Justin and Tony did, but I I think I enjoyed that the most because I was probably in the perfect frame of reference because I I had just seen some Tom Baker Doctor Who's, so I was familiar with that version of the Doctor, so I could appreciate that as a, you know, ooh, like, it's an old Doctor, neato. And, you know, of course, I'm always happy to see the original crew. But the the other thing for me that I will bitch about for a little bit, because now it's it's slightly ruined, but at the time I was all happy because Captain Kirk, like, Drop kicks a fucking Cyberman, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, Captain Kirk, drop kick that motherfucker. I did laugh but, at that scene because you know, it was so, like Captain Kirk, like create a distraction. He was like, well, all right, and then <laughs> the very next panel is him like drop kicking Cyberman. Yeah, I love, I love that, but I was just kind of like, to me, like at that point, I think all I had seen was like Neil Gaiman Cybermen that were like really, really awesome and badass. So I'm like, of course, Kirk can drop kick like badass Cybermen. But then like now, I've seen like more of the Tenant series. I've actually seen like the whole new series and I'm like the Cybermen on that are lame so I hope like Kirk didn't like drop kick a lameoid Cyberman like I hope it was like a badass <laughs> one or something <laughs> the classic ones um yeah I, I know Justin has a lot more Doctor Who knowledge um so I guess I'll, I'll go next since I am more TNG and a little Doctor Who knowledge um I, I I'm yeah I echo Mike's thoughts on the art really hit or miss. Like, like sometimes Picard looked chubby for some reason, like he was bloated or something. And I, I think getting, he was getting those, he was getting those X-Men screenshots instead of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just sometimes he just looked a little off. Um, but like, I mean, there, there's a lot of good setups here and there. I like the fact that Doctor Who arrives on the holodeck 
and that's where he meets the Inter- Enterprise crew, but he doesn't know that first. He's just like, there's a robot in San Francisco in 19, you know, 08 or whatever. And that's kind of cool. Well, actually, 1940-something is, is Dixon Hill. But uh, that was that was kind of cool. You know, I mean, I, I appreciated, like, that little... You know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of good little nods. I'll give the series that. But some of it is kind of weird. Like... I mean, at one point, like, Picard is, like, you know, they, they, they find out the Cybermen have turned against the Borg, and they're, like, going to go, like, you know, destroy them and, you know, take over everything. And that's fine, you know, I mean, whatever, you know, move the story along. But Picard is like, you know, the, the yard must be drawn here, you know, and then, like, you know, Doctor Who is he's like, like... He's like, let them die. Yeah, and it, it just kind of basically comes on to, like, like at first Doctor and then, like, Amy just pretty much... More or less going, come on, come on, you know. No, you know. A- a- Amy was probably going, come on, <laughs> come on. It just, I don't know, it just seemed like Picard did a 180 really quick. He was just like, I will not do this. They should deserve to die after what they did to me. Are you sure? Well, since you put it that way, you know, <laughs> it's just like, and I know they've got eight issues, and they got to kind of wrap it up, you know, to get this stuff going and everything. And I, I, I understand those caveats, but it seemed a little quick. Um, the Cybermen and the the Borg stuff, as far as the artwork, I will give them that. Those looked really good. Those, I, I don't know if they just like drawing robots more or half robot people, but I really like those. The, the ships looked really crappy. I didn't like any of the ships that were painted. I don't know why. They just looked off. Um, Storyline-wise, though, as far as a full story, as far as reading it all, it was okay. Uh, it was competent, you know, like everybody else said. It, it was not blowing my mind. I wasn't like, this is the best Star Trek and Doctor Who story ever. But at the same time, I was like, you know, I've read fucking X-Men and Next Generation, so this is much better than that. <laughs> so, you know, like, my, my frame of reference for team-ups is, you know, it wasn't, I didn't even read this, but it's better than Avengers and Transformers, I'm sure. So, I, I, I didn't mind it. You know, it, it I guess the best thing I can say about it, besides that it was competent, which isn't really a glowing review, it at least did come off like a tra- like a Doctor Who and TNG team up. The, the character beats, like you said, Derek, were, pr- were pretty on. Yeah, you I know, don't. I don't think I don't think anybody was out of character. I mean, I, to me, it you know I was like, oh yeah, of course they're going to go chat with Guinan, and you know, of course the Next Generation crew are going to be doing some dinky. You know, oh, let's talk to these fish people and not, like, just steal their shit. You know, like, let's have yeah. diplomatic conversation with them. You know, and I'm kind of like, yeah, that that's all very in character and standard and everything. Like, I don't know that I thought the little fish people were very exciting or whatever, but, like, it, it seemed it, it had a very next generation vibe to it, you know. No, who I felt bad for was the friggin' security team that went in with Worf. Because, like, it must always suck to be under Worf's command, because he's kind of <laughs> like, you know, we're going to run in there and shoot everyone. Try not to get shot. Like, and, like, I actually, two minutes I, later, I, it's I, like, everyone's dead except Worf. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I mentioned this on the Doctor Who podcast, but the thing I did love about that, that whole sequence was, you know, a, a couple, maybe, like, an issue earlier, you know, Worf's kind of like, all right, like, here's phasers for everybody, and the Doctor being the the fruity doctor that he is, it's like no guns, no guns, no guns, you know, and yeah. all this kind of doctor stuff. But I, I love, I wrote it down so I would remember this time to to bring it up. But I, I love the line. He's like, the doctor isn't here. 
and stupidity is an empty hand. I have no problem continuing to protect you, but would you not rather protect yourselves? You know, and I was just like, fucking A, Worf. Like, that was, to me, that was, like, the best part in the whole thing. And, of course, Amy Pond and, and Rory, you know, take the fucking phasers and protect themselves. So, fucking A, guys. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they weren't written stupidly, which is nice. They weren't just like, you know, we're psychic, you know. No, that, that was good. I, like, I liked that, too. But I was like, of course the fucking guys with no names, like, they can't fight as well as Worf. <laughs> so they get fucking, like, knifed in the back and stuff. But yeah. it's like, you know, it's like Worf's just like, you know, they're like, there's like 20-something Cybermen in this room. What do we do, Commander Worf? And he's like, we're going to run in there, like, no protection, and shoot everything. I'm sure we'll be fine. You know? <laughs> I'm going to go to that door and fire my phaser so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, like, no, Cupcake's Descendant, no. <laughs> um, I, I, I guess the, the only thing that I would say is, since I am not as familiar with Matt Smith, I've seen a couple of his episodes as The Doctor. Um, I, I, I guess uh, I will just end it with, in not bad. Um, was it good? It was good. I mean, it, it did. It didn't offend me. I wasn't like, oh, Doctor Who and TNG is ruined forever. You know, I wasn't anything like that. Didn't piss me off. However, would I like? What's the best way to say this? Would I like at the end of the year? If you're like, you know, hey Tony, what were like the ten best series you read this year? It, it wouldn't fall into that category. You know, it wouldn't like be one of those comics where I'd be like, oh, you have to read this. And people would be like, hey, I, I saw this on the newsstand. Should I read it? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah you can pick it up. You know, I, it just wouldn't come to mind as something that is a must read, but... I felt it was rather disappointing. Um, <clears throat> like you guys have said, um, I wasn't a big fan of the art either. I, was, I did like the art in the Kirk Fourth Doctor flashback. Like That was really well done because it was traditional and not Painted, but I, I think like all, out of all of us, all all four of us liked the flashback. That was like our favorite part. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was the only issue where like at the end I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, but kind of like Mike said, it's like um, you know most of the you know panels of like whether it was Picard or whatever felt like it was a lift from a screenshot or a pro, you know production photo or something. Like I felt the same way reading it, and I can tell you like a lot of those. Matt Smith, Amy Pond photos, or, you know, close-ups, those were taken from production stills, too. So I felt it was kind of, you know, cheap. I don't know. Um, but, like, certain sequences, like Tony said, stood out, like the Borg Cyberman stuff and the the attack on Delta in the very first issue. Like, I thought that was really well-painted. But, like, some of the, you know, static scenes of this talking on the Enterprise Bridge or in the TARDIS, like, I didn't really... I don't know. They were like two. Hey, look! 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 Look at my avatar. You can't tell me that Riker smirk wasn't directly lifted from like an episode of Beyond Belief. <laughs> <laughs> Is it real, or am I just lying? We'll find out. But like for the story, like I kind of felt like it was like seven issues of you know the cast just sitting around talking things out like it, it felt like a really slow episode of tng and i yeah, felt like, yeah um not one i would rewatch. i'm going to be like Ooh, i'm going to rewatch the one where like you know troy the romulan like yeah that's a good one to rewatch. you're like oh it's the one where like everyone's having like you know 
REM nightmares and Counselor Trolley's like floating through the cloud thingy. Like I don't really want to watch that. One. <laughs> like, that's what this felt like. Dark. <laughs> yeah. So, like, like the the fish guys, and I think like them like constantly like hitting up Counselor Troy. Like, what do you sense from the doctor? It's like, well, he's he's sad, but he's nice, but he's. He's definitely sad, you know. It's just like, oh, good job, good job, Troy. Wait a minute. They, like, look, they look over at the doctor, and he's like smiling. Then, like for two seconds, he frowns, and he's smiling again. <laughs> <and> he frowns. <laughs> Rector's like, shit, I could have told you that. He's a two-year-old could have told you. Yeah, I also like her, her, you know, in-depth analysis of uh, Amy and Rory is like, hmm. I think they're nervous, but they completely trust him. And like, how do you fucking know that? <laughs> I never heard of that emotion before. Complete trust. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> but you know, like you guys said, like I didn't feel like anyone was ever like acting out of character at all. It was just like the story was rather disappointing. You would think like the Cybermen and the Borg working together, and then the Cybermen turning on the Borg would make for a good story. But it just was kind of, it just kind of puttered out. Like I don't know. Like maybe they should have. Use some different villains or something like maybe they should add like the master and Q like have some kind of competition or team up or, or something like that would have been more interesting to me. But I don't know. I feel like if you were a fan of like TNG for years and years and you were a fan of Doctor Who for years and years and this was announced, you'd be like, oh man, finally they're going to do this. It's going to be great. And then at the end, after you read it, you're like, man, that was kind of a, it's kind of a. Bummer. Like that, that did kind of blow my mind with like the doctor who's a time traveler and cues an omnipotent like you know all knowing entity. Why would you not have him in there at least for a second or something? You know at least a cameo like Q showing up and being like, so how are you gonna get out of this one, Time Lord? Something you know something snarky or something you know. Let me let me ask this of you, Justin, since you probably have the best knowledge of both franchises out of all of us. Did you feel like like put this in a like sort of death battle sort of like uh, arena? Did you feel the Borg got punked out by the Cybermen, or would you say that's like an accurate assessment of their like capabilities? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I still have like the Voyager Borg in my head, and they were always punked out all the time. But like. <laughs> <laughs> they were. They got totally nineties jobbered all the time. Um, I don't know because like there's there were a lot of occasions on Doctor Who where I felt like the Cybermen went down too easily too, like especially some of those older episodes. So like I don't know, like I didn't feel I didn't feel like the Borg were like totally like you know jo- jobbered or anything, but like. If it was like one of those death battle videos, it'd be like the Borg versus the Cybermen. Like, who would I say would win? Like, I, I don't know. Like, maybe the Borg. I don't know. Like, that's that's one of those things. It's like I don't. Even though like I might have the most knowledge of the two franchises, you know, among us. Like, I don't. I don't know that even. I guess. I, like, guess it's I feel. I feel like. Yeah. I feel like it's asking like you're looking at like different versions of Superman when it comes to the Cybermen, and like if it's the Superman, the animated series version of Superman, well then yeah, he's gonna jobber because he gets electrocuted and goes uh and like can't lift. 
cranes and shit like that. And I kind of feel that way about like the tenant era Cybermen because I was yeah. watching all these episodes and all they do is kind of run around or like delete, delete, delete. And I'm like, what? You can't kick those guys' ass? Like they can't even like walk in a straight fucking line, much less <laughs> kick anybody's ass, you know? But then like you watch like the Neil Gaiman Cybermen and these guys like they have super fucking speed and they're choking motherfuckers and they're assaulting <laughs> fucking castles. And you're like, holy shit, like these guys are fucking serious fucking business you know but it's like you know in the tenant thing it was like i thought the uh the daleks like trash talk the fucking uh, <laughs> yeah. cybermen because there's there's this funny ass scene where it's like they're like what are you gonna do bitch and they're like they're like well why don't we team up and he's like no we can't team up and it's like well we're gonna fight then and then and then they say something like i, I forget what like the trash talk is but he's like he's like you know, what are you good at? And he's like, well, I know what you're good at. And he's like, what's that? You're good at dying, you know? And that's what the Daleks say. Of course, it's a lot more annoying because they're like, you are good at dying. <laughs> or whatever the fuck they say. But it's just like it, total, like, trash talk. And, like, after that, like, I don't know. It's like I had, like, mad respect for Cybermen at some point. But, like, seeing more of them, it's kind of like a Boba Fett, Darth Maul thing where, like, the more I see... Like now, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if they're as awesome as I thought they were. So, but. yeah, it's like th- this version of the Borg we're seeing. It's like when they show up on TNG, they're always a big deal. It's like, oh man, we gotta like do something, you know? It's like, oh, well, Q saved us. Oh, we barely got out of this one because we saved Picard. And it's like, oh, we're gonna send Hugh against him or whatever. And it's like they show up. It's a big deal. Not so later on. But that's the version you got in this comic, and then like yeah, yeah, the version of Cybermen in this comic, it looks like it's the tenant ones, and you know they they are kind of a pushover. So it's like <laughs> you got the two pussy versions. <laughs> no, like, uh, like are you saying I, the Borg or the TNG ones? Yeah, the TNG Borg, like I think they would handily beat the tenant era Cybermen. Oh, okay. So like maybe in that respect, I I could see like them being you know kind of like. They got the short end of the stick because those tennis Cybermen aren't very much of anything. Yeah, at least at least it wasn't Voyager Borg, you know. Like we got outspotted by old Janeway <laughs> and species sixty four seventy nine thirty seven seventy six or whatever their name is. <laughs> Smushy heads. <laughs> yeah, uh, like uh, weird. Uh, they were supposed to like they talked about doing a sequel to this, but like. Um, IDW is, no longer has the rights to Doctor Who, so we pro- probably won't see any kind of like sequel. Oh, okay. Who has the right? Does anybody have the rights to the Doctor Who comics right now? Um, I think they're called Titan Books, and they're like, a, you know, centered in the UK. I think they, I think they do make some sort of like Doctor Who books or magazines, but I don't think they ever made any Doctor Who comics. So hmm, okay. All right. Well, I, I mean, I guess that unless anybody has any last words on Assimilation Squared, uh, I think we'll move on to Awesome Thing of the Week. Um, I think I'm good. I mean, the only thing I say is Fat Picard. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yep. Delete. <laughs> the only thing you are good at is dying. <laughs> Even a two-year-old could tell you we don't help the Borg. <laughs> Is this story the product of a writer's imagination, or have we unlocked the truth with the turn of a skeleton? 
Cool. So uh, I guess awesome thing of the week. And if you're not familiar with this segment, as as you should be as a regular listener, this is where we fan halls. We discuss something that, you know, it could be a book, it could be a film or just, you know, something that's awesome in our world this week. And, you know, just kind of go into why we liked it and, and what's so awesome about it. So um, I, I'm actually going to start off because I'm excited this week, man. Infinity tied against or Infinity Against the Tide, number one, like that was like a digital side comic that came with the the Marvel mega event Infinity by Jonathan Hickman or whatever. But uh, it's a little side com- comic book and, uh, you know, you can get it on its own or you can get it if you pick up the Infinity comic, you know, physically or whatever. But man, like that was fucking awesome like i love that like and it's it's silver surfer and it's like basically just a silver surfer story but man this isn't like pussy ass silver surfer who gets like manhandled by the black panther <laughs> like it ain't no silver surfer comic from like the the new millennium like in the mid 2000s where he was just like you know not in the comic and you're reading about like african families for like six months or whatever, and then the Silver Surfer would, like, poke his head in and be like, yo, dude, I'm an alien, you know, or whatever, and then, like, fly away and stuff. Like, this was... Actual dialogue. Silver Surfer was in space. He was kicking major, major ass. He's not a herald of Galactus. He's like, they're like, what are you doing here, bro? You you brought Galactus to eat us? He's like, no, bro, I'm here to help you. To me, my board. And he he kicks all sorts of ass. So if if you're a fan of Silver Surfer like I am, I, I hope you would be as exhilarated and and happy as I am. And if there is a new Marvel now Silver Surfer series, I hope it continues to be as good as this one shot is. That's my awesome thing. So um, yeah. Um, I, anybody else who wants to chime in or whatnot? Like, how about you, Mike? What was your awesome thing this week? Um. I watched, uh, well, by the time I guess this airs, maybe it'll actually be dubbed, but I watched the the Dragon Ball Z movie, uh, the Battle of the Gods, I think it was called, Um, and uh, I liked it. I mean, it it, kind of, like, I thought I was, it was kind of different for a, like, Dragon Ball movie. Like, it sort of, it was more similar to, like, that reunion special they had a few years ago instead of, like, uh, like traditional, like, Dragon Ball Z movie. Like, there was, like, plenty of action towards the end, but, like, you know, the first hour or so was kind of, like, uh, more comedy and, like, just kind of crazy, like, Dragon Ball stuff that I, I really thought was kind of hilarious. Like, especially anything, like, Vegeta did was pretty <laughs> hilarious in that movie. Where he, like, yeah, he, the, 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 the god who appears, uh, who is called Bills, is, like, so, like, fearsome and destructive that even Vegeta's, like, pissing his pants. So he's, like, trying to get Bills not to destroy the Earth. So he's just kind of, like, you know, he's like, oh, check out this cool thing like we, they have on Earth called Bingo. And he does, like, this whole song about Bingo <laughs> and stuff. And I don't know. It, it was pretty friggin' hilarious. But, I mean, it's, there's still some of the usual complaints with Dragon Ball movies. Like, you know, everyone but Goku pretty much. And maybe, like, Vegeta gets a badass moment. But everyone but Goku gets, like, punked out. Like, even Gohan can't make it past, like, the first hit. You know, and, like, everyone's, like, interchangeable after that when it comes to combat. But, you know, other than that, like, at least, like, Goku didn't, like, really end up saving the day or anything. 
but he was he was still like the hero and stuff. But you know, I, I enjoyed it a lot, and I, I think if you're a fan, of, well, if you're like a fan of Dragon Ball, you, you'll if you're more of a fan of Dragon Ball, I should say, you'll probably get more of it if you're more than if you're like not just a fan of like Dragon Ball Z and like tons of like you know meaningless action like stacked on top of itself in a, in a row but you know I, I i i guess what i'm saying is i liked it <laughs> and i i should say if if they when if it, well i should say when they do the english dub i think bills should be voiced by bill cosby because he goes crazy <laughs> over pudding in the in the movie he's like pudding i need to get the pudding i'm sure i'm sure funimation will get right on that they'll still they'll get right on talking to bill cosby's uh people right away has has that previous special uh, that previous special hasn't even been dubbed yet i wonder yeah, if i don't ever... know what's taken them so yeah. long i don't know if they don't have the rights to it yeah, maybe or... maybe they have to pay for it or something yeah you know, get, get the rights to it but i don't know i enjoyed that too so i yeah. wish that i'd buy that if it came out yet on yeah. dvd but cool all right well uh how about you mr tony jackson what is your awesome thing to share with the fan host listeners this week um, I've got uh, two ones, just uh, minor, but I guess my main one, <clears throat> I will plug this. Uh, this is an open forum, so <laughs> um, uh, I am currently doing a wrestling podcast with a friend of mine named Jan. He lives in Canada, um, <laughs> the mystical land of Canada. Yes, yes, yes. The Great White What? Um, <laughs> no, he lives in the Great White North. Me and him are longtime wrestling fans. He posts regularly on the uh, Bot Talk forum we have mentioned many times on this podcast. And I decided to do a wrestling podcast. And the fact of the matter is, is a lot of guys who are on the fan holes are not huge wrestling fans. And the ones who have watched wrestling, like Justin, are not really current fans who watch it all the time. So I was like, who can I get? So I got my friend Jan. And we've got two shows out already. Uh, big ups to uh, our my good friend Derek, who's with us right now, for editing the latest episode because I had some issues. So thank you very much for that, Derek. And thank you. Um, yeah, if you like wrestling, if you want to hear us babble on about stuff, uh, they're usually shorter shows than what we do. Not because we don't have a lot to say, but you know, it's two guys talking about wrestling. We don't have as much in-depth detail. We don't have a. We usually do recaps and all that good stuff. So I'm excited about it. I'm really happy with how it's turned out so far. Two good shows. Uh, if you want to look it up, it's on uh, caninfection.podbean.com. Uh, just go to that website, and you'll see me and Jan uh, talking about wrestling. My uh, lesser, not as important thing, I guess you would say, is, well... <laughs> My God, how many times can I, like, just babble on about this damn comic, Mike? Um, <laughs> big issue is coming out uh, next week for more than meets the eye. It's going to be huge. A lot of stuff's going to be revealed, and I'm, re- I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's awesome, so I'm looking forward to it, and I really just can't wait to read it. It's, it's, it's one of those small pleasures in life. Whenever you get more than meets the eye... You're getting a good comic. You're getting good characters. And as has been said by many people who aren't Transformers fans, people who are just comic fans, it's just a good comic. It's good sci-fi. It's it's entertaining. You don't even have to like Transformers. If you like people who 
write comics well, has good art, and a story that pulls you in, you really got to get into this. Uh, Dark Cybertron is coming soon. This is leading up to it. So uh, right now it's uh, uh, is it is it go back to the light or fall into the light? Uh, remain in light. Remain in light is the current storyline. This is you know. I, I can't really put into words how yeah, much... Yeah, it's been I, great so far. So hopefully, like, the last part doesn't... Uh, I don't think it will, but you never know. But I, ho- I like I hope that the last part maintains the same quality. Yeah, it just... Yeah, it, it hasn't let me down yet. So I, I have strong, strong hope it will not let me down this time. So, yeah, uh, listen to the new podcast I got going on if you'd like. Uh, I'd appreciate it. Me and Jan both would. And... More than meets the eye. Seriously, folks, pick it up. It's worth it. <laughs> so, yeah, so a lot of IDW love in this entire podcast. Um, we got Transformers. And then also, if you want to listen to the Can-Am Infection podcast, and, and you can't remember all that stuff to write down, we also have it on our list of cool sites. So if you're on our channelspodcast.blogspot.com you could just go to the right and it's listed in alphabetical order under the Can-Am Infection Podcast so it's down by the T's so you can just click on that link too and it'll take you to the Podbean link as well so I guess that leaves us with Mr. Justin what's going on in your world this week and what is awesome about it I have two things Um, one is actually related to something we talked about uh, I finally, after looking at it for several months now, I finally picked up one of the Nicktoons-styled uh, Ninja Turtle figures. I picked up Michelangelo, who, if you'll remember from our other podcast, is my favorite Ninja Turtle. And uh, it's a pretty cool little figure. It's uh, like I, I was actually surprised by the uh, art, amount of articulation it had. I guess I was like thinking back to the uh, you know previous turtle lines who didn't have a whole lot of articulation it, it's a really cool figure and it kind of you know if you remember like the old the OG turtle figures had that little weapons rack where you could tear off the accessories like these have that kind of same thing too which i thought was kind of neat and it's a it's a neat little figure so i'll probably get the other three turtles here in a little bit um my other thing is also a uh, action figure related uh i picked up another uh, sh fig yards uh this is uh one of my favorite common writers i got uh common writer of v3 and uh he's the third common writer and he you know like most fig yards he comes with a multitude of like you know accessories whether it's different hands for different poses and you know different stuff uh, different scarves you can put on his back so it's like you've got like a static one or one that's like fluttering in the breeze or whatever so i'm really pleased with it it's really good uh solid representation of that figure who's one of my favorite writers so i'm really happy with that cool cool sounds very cool and and i I don't think you'll have any trouble finding those other three turtle figures because i have to say distribution from from playmates on that stuff I, I i don't think i ever walk into a store where i don't see any turtles product the only yeah. thing that i was wondering was have you guys seen those little baby versions of the turtles like because i've seen i've seen like one where it's like michael or no i think it's like leonardo and donatello in one pack but i was like oh i wonder if they have baby versions of like Raphael and michelangelo because i haven't seen that but i, I thought those were kind of neat too so Hmm. No, I haven't seen those. No. All I see is the commercials for those damn oversized turtles all the damn time. 
<laughs> are the ones that like shoot like you know pizzas out of their chest or whatever it does. No, they're like they're like I guess like ten or twelve inches tall, and you can open up their shell and they have all their weapons in their back. And they actually try to play it off in the commercial like, now the supersized turtles are here to fight, and they're like fighting against like the small figures for like the villains. And I'm like, that that never happened. That's no, don't you don't you remember the episode where they all like ate tin particles that were placed on top of a pizza <laughs> and. It's, it's an homage to the forty foot Irma. Oh, that episode. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's that's what, yeah. Make All my right. turtle grow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well yeah, okay, so that's that's our podcast for tonight. Uh if you have any comments, questions, criticisms, uh suggestions, you can feel free to email us at fanholespodcast at gmail dot com or you know, we can charge you a quarter and you can send it to us as well. But yeah, feel free to email us at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. You can check us out on the blog spot, on the Twitter, on the Facebook. Um, again, thank you to all the people who are always listening and tuning in, whether you make comments on, you know, the Botox forums or you make comments on, you know, the, the emails or just give us likes on the, every release, you, you know, all the pages and everything. Obviously, you know, Jan is one of those people who's always liking our shows. You know, Boove, who does the RPG blogs for us and everything. He's always liking our shows and we're always happy to get new content from him. Um, you know, and then, you know, everybody else who likes uh, you know, on the Facebook page, we appreciate it. So continue to listen, uh, continue to like, and until the next time, this is gonna be Derek Derek WC signing off. It's Mike Thunderwing. Justin Grimlock. Tony Chanclaw and speaking of Booth, Mystery Science Theater three K the movie. You happy now? We talked about it. We finally mentioned it. We talked about it. <laughs> Peace. Actually, I was doing the new rap one that uh, Derek hates. Uh, yeah, I was trying. To, I was trying to like tolerate your. Rap. <laughs> Here uh, we go. It's the Lean Green Ninja Team on the scenes. Of, I forgot the rest of it. <laughs> Willie Dewitt. Man, you're you're lucky. I don't know the lyrics to uh, uh, Rescue Bots because I would start singing those right now. <clears throat> Just do your version. I'm like, Optimus Prime says to fuck shit up. <laughs> <laughs>